Tonight, um, speaking to young people mainly, but I'm really speaking to all of us. The Word of God challenges us all when we open it, when we read it, when we ask God to speak to our hearts through it. And uh, tonight I trust that the Word of God will challenge our hearts. I have a, a very simple message to share tonight. And that is to give you one reason why we should be totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. One reason. The Word of God, uh, we, the theme of our, our uh, conference is having a passion for God. Specifically, we're looking at great is the Lord. We sang in the hymns tonight, the, the choir sang, uh, great is the Lord. We serve a mighty God. And God has given us clear instruction in his word as to how we can please him, how we can serve him. And tonight I want to give you one reason why we should be totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is because of his mercy to us. Great is the Lord. He is great in mercy. Our verse tonight, we're going to be looking at one verse particular uh, as a theme verse and that is in Romans chapter 12. I'm sure we these two verses are very familiar to us. Romans chapter 12. Now, the book of Romans is a wonderful book. Uh, it has been said that it is the, the um, constitution of the Christian life. The book of Romans outlines the, the gospel of Jesus Christ and it is a great book. And uh, the, it, as we, uh, Pastor Minnick mentioned this morning, we, we looked at, at uh, some of the things that Romans has to say to us. But God, uh, the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes this wonderful thesis on the Christian life. We, we, from the very beginning, we, the, he outlines the, the fact that the world is guilty before God, that we have no hope without God in this world. We, we, uh, references made to the wrath of God. We, we sometimes we think that God is just a God of love. Well, he is. He is a God of love. But he's also a God of wrath. And we're going to look a little bit about that tonight as well as we go through our message. And uh, throughout the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul takes us through the, the journey. The, the, the theme of the, of the book of Romans is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what the word gospel means? It means good news. And do you know why the, the gospel is good news? It's because of the bad news. The bad news is that we're all sinners. The bad news is that Without God, we have no hope in this world and certainly no hope for all eternity. And so the Apostle Paul uh, outlines what is required, what God has done in making salvation available to all. And it is through the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes into great detail. He talks about our position in the Lord Jesus, those who put their faith and trust in him, that we are justified by faith, no longer has sin power over us 
to do those things that we would naturally do. We have the victory. We have the power to say no to sin, no to Satan, no to temptation. God has implanted, uh, has given us the victory. He has given us his Holy Spirit, which lives in every born-again believer. We have the power of God in our life. We have the Holy Spirit who, who, who teaches us his word, who brings the word of God to our minds and gives us understanding to spiritual things. And Paul goes through to uh, this in the book of Romans and explains, outlines the doctrine of a Christian life. And then he comes to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is um, verses 1 and 2 are the two most important verses in the Bible when it comes to knowing the will of God in our lives. You see, you can know everything about Romans 1 to 11. You can know how to be saved. You can know what God has done. You can know all this doctrine. But it will mean very little to us as believers if we don't listen and obey Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the key to living a victorious Christian life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is the, is the, the, the engaging, if you will, of, of gears in a gearbox that makes the Christian life fruitful and God-honouring. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do you have it open? We've probably memorised this verse, many of us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The Apostle Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. These verses are very important for us as Christians. If we want to have victory in our life, if we want to have fruitful service in our life, then Jesus Christ must be Lord. He must have first place. He must be number one in our lives. Above all else, he must be first. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus Christ first in your life? When you think about doing something, do you think, I wonder if the Lord would be pleased if I do this? If I go to this place or that place or watch that movie or, or associate with these people, will this please my Lord? You see, that's what it means for God to be number one in our life. I beseech you therefore, brethren. The word beseech means to ask something urgently and fervently. Has someone ever come beside you and said, you know, I really think you should consider some things here in your life. 
someone who they beseech you, they, they earnestly inquire of you, they fervently ask, they, they recommend, if you will, a certain course of action that you should take in your life. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul here is addressing to the believers. It is to... And you know, as, as Christians, we can know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Saviour, but there is one thing that we need to be challenged on, of regularly, and that is of the Lordship of Christ. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? You might say, yes, I, 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 I gave my life to the Lord Jesus in, in, uh, many years ago. And that's great. But we need to be challenged, I believe, tonight as to our service and as to our um, commitment, if you will, to the Lord Jesus. In Bible study, when it comes, when we, and Pastor Minnick reminded us this morning that when we see a wherefore or a therefore, we find out what it is there for. And the Apostle Paul says here, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in the light of chapters 1 to 11, in the light of all that God has done in providing salvation, in all that God has done in his mercy and in his grace, He, uh, in the light of all these things, brethren, believers, I beseech you by the mercies of God that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Some people think that, it's a, that God is unreasonable for him to, to require of me that I give, my, uh, give him my all. I mean, I've got my own life to live. Well, if we think that as believers, then we haven't seen the mercy of God. We haven't seen the mercy of God. And tonight I want us to park here a little bit as we consider the mercies of God. Now the therefore, as I said, refers to the mercies of God. All that, that, that the Lord Jesus has done for us. All that Paul has shared in one, chapters 1 to 11. He he beseeches us to, to respond to this request by the mercies of God. Well, what is mercy? Whenever we hear of God's mercy, we often, it's, it's often coupled with the word grace. Mercy and grace. There is a slight difference between the, the two meanings of these words, but it's easy to remember and the difference between them is this. God in his mercy does not give me what I deserve. But God in his grace gives me what I don't deserve. Let me say that again. God in his mercy does not give me what I deserve. But God in his grace gives me what I don't deserve. We could say it this way, that mercy pities, but grace pardons. Excuse me. 
God is known as a God of mercy. There are many verses, a number of verses in the scriptures which support this, which tell us of the mercy of God. Let me give you a few of them. In Psalm 86.15 we read, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, gracious, long and plenteous in mercy and truth. Long suffering. <laughs> you can't say that word shortly or sh- short. <laughs> it's long suffering. You can make that long as long as you want. But God is long suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. God will withhold his hand uh, of wrath against those who deserve it in order to give them time to respond to his mercy and to his truth. In Psalm 105, Psalm 100 verse 5 we read, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, long-suffering, and his truth endureth to all generations. Micah 7.18 Who is like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. The mercy of God. It is a wonderful thing. In Ephesians 2.4 we read, For but God who is rich for his, in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. You know, we can, we can rejoice in the fact that God is love. We can rejoice in the fact that God is merciful. And sometimes we, we do that but we fail to realise that God is a God of wrath and a God who, who will punish sin. God will never, ever be soft on sin. And, but to be, he is rich in mercy. Now, why do we need the mercy of God? Well, I jumped ahead a bit of myself just then. We need the mercy of God because of the wrath of God. The wrath of God. You see, we were reminded this morning that, that God's creation hasn't done uh, too well. We have failed God. We have turned our back on God. And young person today, if you have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to listen to this. Because if, unless you get right with God, the wrath of God is what you have to face in the day of judgment. John 3.36, write this verse down. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He who believes on the Son of God has everlasting life. But he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, there's no grey area. As I said, we know that God is a God of love. He's not willing that any should perish. But I tell you what, he is not going to err when it comes to sin. He is going to, he is going to judge the wrath. Uh, he's going to judge sin uh, on the day of judgment. Now God has uh, uh, God will God is a God of wrath. I will continue on. In Romans 1.18, we read this this morning. For the wrath of God 
is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. We should fear God. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your saviour, then you ought to fear God because there's going to come a day that unless you get right with God, you are going to face the wrath of God. In Colossians 3, verses 5 and 6, Paul is speaking to the believers and he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. For the which things sake the wrath of God cometh on upon the children of disobedience. You see, unless we get right with God, we're going to face the wrath of God. We all need the mercy. We all need God's mercy because without it, we'll have to face God's wrath. Now, understanding mercy is often difficult, isn't it? I guess we've all seen uh, sword fights, haven't we? People uh, fighting each other with swords. <laughs> and um, both have the intent of killing each other. Okay, They're doing this backwards and forwards and one jumps up on the chair and gets the advantage, one swings on the chandelier or whatever it is. We've seen it all in the movies. And then uh, at, the, at the end of the, the, the fight or during the fight, one would slip, he'd fall over, lose his sword and the other fellow would come up with his sword poised. And what does the fellow on the ground say? Go ahead. No. <laughs> mercy, mercy. <laughs> you know, we, we, underst we understand uh, mercy in that way. But you know, oftentimes it's it's difficult for us to to uh, want to show mercy, isn't it? Sometimes we think, well, you know, he deserved what he gets. You know, he was going to do this and he was going to do that. He deserves what he gets. And many many of us have developed a, a nature of harsh criticism, and what others uh, and we want others to get what what's coming to them. But you see, God is not like that. Imagine if God was like that. Imagine if God thought like we thought. That person deserves it. <laughs> no, I don't, but he does. No. The thing is that before God, we are all guilty. Before God, we all deserve God's wrath. And it's only because of his mercy that he saves us. God has done all that he can for us to be saved. And when we see the mercy of God, when we see the bad news, when we see that without Christ we are guilty, lost sinners, when we see the mercy of God, that should generate a desire to want to serve God. Lord, you saved me. You saved me from sin. You saved me from your wrath. You've saved me for eternity. And Lord, I want to present myself to you today. The mercy of God. We need it. 
There are three, it's funny, Pastor Mitchell this morning used the word mega. In my notes I had, there are three mega words here that are the centre of the gospel. These are big things. The first, the first is propitiation. The second is redemption. And the third is justification. Three mega words that are at the centre of the gospel. Now, propitiation is a word we probably don't use every day in our vocabulary. But it is a Bible word. It's a word that we need to understand. I don't even know if there is a, a good English word that could fully describe it, or at least not one word. We need a, a number of words to describe what this word propitiation means. Simply, it's a wrath-removing sacrifice. The word propitiation means to appease wrath. You know, the biggest problem we have is not bad people, but it's the wrath of God. That's the problem we have as sinners. Those without Christ, before God, guilty, we have a problem. It's not that we're bad, it's that God is angry at us. God is going to judge us for our sinfulness, for our turning away from him for as we were reminded this morning by not giving him the glory by worshipping things that God has made without worshipping God for who he is because he is our creator he is the one who made us I am under God's wrath and what can I do nothing but God but God puts forward his son as a wrath-removing sacrifice as a propitiation. He absorbs the curse. He absorbs the condemnation that is against me. His wrath was on me, but Christ stepped in and absorbed it all on Calvary. Does that make you say amen? Do you know, brethren, if you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what God has done for you. Propitiation is a precious word. For Christians, listen to this, there will never ever be a day from now until all eternity when God will have one ounce of wrath toward us. Even though as believers we, we, we fail God, we sin, we disobey him, but because we are his children, he disciplines us, he chastens us, when we err, he, he smacks us. He, he makes us taste the fruit of our sin sometimes. And, and he, in, in order to bring us to himself. But we will never ever, from now until eternity, will we have to face one ounce of wrath from God. He will not show wrath towards us because we are in Christ. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great, great is thy faithfulness. You know, if it was possible for us to, to use up all of God's mercies in one day, guess what? They'd be new tomorrow. 
They are new every morning. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised for his mercy. The second mega word is the word redemption. And that means deliverance at the cost of a price. Ephesians 1.7 and Colossians 1.14 in our Bibles say basically the same thing. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And in Ephesians it adds, according to the riches of his grace. You see, mercy and grace. God not giving us what we do deserve, but then giving us what we don't deserve. He saved us. He redeemed us. And the price of our redemption was the blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, the Bible says. And when Christ died upon the cross, shed his blood, he cleansed our hearts from sin. He made us right with God. The power of the blood of the Lamb. The third mega word is the word justification. To justify is to declare to have fulfilled everything required of you. Have you ever had to... to um, be checked out for something and we, we go and the, the, they say, yes, you've done this, you've done this, yes, yes, yep, no, you haven't done that. Sorry, you've got to go and to that line and do that, that before you come back and then we'll sign you off. Well, justification is like that except it's all been done. We've been cleared. Because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, our faith in Christ, he counts us righteous. And this is more than just removing our uh, removing wrath from from us. It's more than just forgiveness of sins. It's having God consider us to have fulfilled every requirement of us. You see, we are made right before God. What do we say? Justified justification. Justified never sinned. That's what it means. These three mega words of the gospel, propitiation, redemption, justification. How can this be true? Well, in Romans 5.19, we read this. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The Lord Jesus made it possible. The Lord Jesus made it true for you and for me to stand faultless and clean and justified before an almighty God. Justified, never sinned. The mercy of God. It's because of God's mercy in saving us. That's the reason why we need to, as Paul said, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
I am to present myself to God. Have you ever presented yourself to God that way? Have you ever realised, has the penny ever dropped in your heart and mind and think, wow, God has done all this for me. Lord, what do you want me to do for you? Thank you for saving me. Thank you for your mercy. Tomorrow we're going to look at verse 2. But the reason that we are to give ourselves totally to the Lord Jesus is because of his mercy. We are to present our bodies. This is what God requires. I am to present myself to God as a living sacrifice. Do you know there are no draftees in the Lord's army? Everyone is a volunteer. Paul says here, I beseech you, brethren. Can't you see? This is not unreasonable what God is asking. This is not an unreasonable request when you consider the mercies of God and all that God has done. It should be a, an obvious, a, a logical decision that we don't make, a logical decision. There's a little chorus used to sing and it goes like this. After all he's done for me, after all he's done for me, how can I do less than give him my best and live for him completely after all he's done for me? Do you know that chorus? It's a good chorus. <laughs> I won't sing it. We are to present our bodies. It is a personal sacrifice. I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. Each one of us must say, Lord, I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. Now, the word sacrifice, let's look at that one for a minute. What is a sacrifice? Well, a sacrifice was when, was when an animal was slain and placed upon an altar. An altar is a place to die on. And do you know what that means? That means that when you die, you have no rights for yourself. Unfortunately today, we have a, a wrong idea of Christian service. We, the emphasis is, Lord, this is what I want to do for you. I'm going to become a missionary and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm going to do this for you, Lord. Wrong emphasis. There's nothing wrong in being a missionary. But it's not, Lord, what I can do for you. It's rather, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want to do through me? You see, a sacrifice has no rights. When we present ourselves to God, it is on his terms. Lord, what would you want me to do? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, talks about our bodies. It says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. I'd better look it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
Verse 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? The Holy Ghost lives within us as believers, which ye have of God. The moment we say we were saved, we trusted in the Lord Jesus, God gave us the Holy Spirit that lives and abides within us. And we are not our own. Because of that, because we were bought with a price, we are to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's. You see, we have no rights of our own. We belong to God. It is because of God's mercy to save us and in saving us that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. The last part of this verse says, holy and acceptable. We are to do it, it's to be a complete sacrifice. When we present ourselves this way, then this is well-pleasing unto God. I read a story about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody, as a young man, newly saved, went and heard an evangelist by the name of William Varley preach. And William Varley made this statement in his message. And young D.L. was in the congregation. And William Varley said that the world is yet to see what God can do in and with a life that is totally committed to him. That challenged young Moody. He'd just been saved. He, he, he realised that God loved him and God saved him. And as he heard those words of that evangelist that touched his heart and he bowed his head and he said, Lord, by your grace I want to be that man. I want to be someone that you can that is so committed to you that the world will be glorified, sorry, that you would be glorified in me and that the world would see the power of God. Well, D.L. Moody was used mightily of God, as we know. He was an uneducated man. He, he, his his uh, use of grammar was often an embarrassment to people that would hear him. In fact, it was said that the last letter he ever wrote before he died contained 25 grammatical errors. <laughs> what made the difference in D.L. Moody's life? It wasn't his education. It was his desire to present himself as a living sacrifice to Almighty God. The last part of this verse says, which is your reasonable service it's logical reason has to do with the mind when we see that all that God has done in saving us when we understand the mercies of God it's reasonable that we present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice Isaac Watts wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. 
Have you ever surveyed Calvary? With our mind's eye, we've been asked to use our imagination today. But let us, in our mind's eye, survey Calvary. The hymn writer said, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Something happens in our life when we look to Calvary, when we survey that wondrous cross. So let's for a moment pretend that we're there, we're perhaps a little bit at a distance and we've, we've got the theodolite and we're able to, to zoom in at the whole scene there at Calvary. What do we see? We see our Saviour nailed to that cross. We can't recognise him because his body has been so traumatised through the scourge. His body is covered in blood. But as we look, we see that he's still alive and we hear his prayers. We see the love shown there to those who crucified him on either side. We, we hear what Jesus says to one of them. He says, he gives him this blessed assurance and says, today you shall be with me in paradise. This thief there on the cross believed. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. With that, the Lord Jesus said, today you shall be with me in paradise. We, we hear the, the testimony of the centurion Truly this man is the Son of God. We hear his cry, the cry of the Lord Jesus. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know, when Jesus said those words, that was the first time in all eternity where God had to turn his back on his Son. He couldn't even look on him. Jesus couldn't even address him as his father. He had to call him my God. You see, at that point, that's when Jesus was taking the punishment for your sin and mine. God had forsaken his son because of your sin, because of my sin, because of the wickedness of man's heart. Jesus bore it all alone. He took the brunt of hell and death for us. We hear his last cry. It is finished. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. Friends, God asks for nothing more and nothing less than in the light of Calvary, in the light of God's mercies that we present ourselves to him. I started this message by saying I have a simple message <laughs> and that is to give you one reason why we should be totally committed to the Lord Jesus. Young people, think about that. Think about the mercies of God. God has a plan for every one of you. God has a plan. He has a, de a desire for you to serve him but that won't ever happen until 
we present ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus. I'd like to close with this illustration. Has anyone heard of the Coronal Diamond? <coughs> the Coronal Diamond. Let me tell you about the Coronal Diamond. The story goes something like this. When the Coronal Diamond was found, it was 186 carats. Now, that's not the vegetable, okay? A carrot is a, is a unit of weight for, uh, for precious stones. It's spelt K-A-R-A-T, I think. But this, this diamond was most precious. At the time, they said it was value, the value of the coronal diamond was worth one half of the daily expenses of the whole world. Even today, I looked this up on the uh, internet, even today it is valued between 10 and $12 billion, the coronal diamond. But the history of this diamond, the diamond was passed round about and finally it ended up in India under the control of a Punjab prince who was 10 years old. This young boy, this Punjab prince, gave this diamond to Queen Victoria as a 10-year-old boy. Later on, this Punjab prince grew to be a man and he went to the Tower of London where the jewel was being kept and he asked to see the Coronal Diamond. They brought it out to him and he said, would you place it in my hands? A bit tense. And always, what's he going to do? They thought, well, now that he knows the worth of the diamond, what's he going to do? They could do nothing else. They took it and placed it in his hands. Then this Punjab prince turned to Queen Victoria. And this is what he said. With the coronal diamond in his hand, he said, Your Majesty, when I was a lad of 10 years old, I gave you this diamond. I didn't know what it was worth, but now as a man, fully realising what it's worth, I want to give it to you, my queen, one more time. And as I read that, I thought, many of us have given our hearts to the Lord Jesus. But over the years, as we have, have grown in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. We see all that the Lord Jesus did. When we think of the mercies of God, we, we, under, we begin to understand more clearly the preciousness of our Saviour. And I think that some of us want to say, Lord Jesus, I gave you my life when I was young and I meant it back then. But now, my Lord, realising more about you and more about me, here, Lord, I give you my life anew, afresh. That's what I want to do. Perhaps you are here tonight and many years ago you did give your life to the Lord. But over the years, things have 
Perhaps we've got it into a rut. Perhaps we need to have a fresh look at Calvary. You know, I believe that one of the reasons we have the ordinance of the Lord's table in our church churches is so that we will be reminded of the mercies of God. Because it is by the mercies of God that he saved us. And it is because of the mercies of God that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. It is not unreasonable for God to make this request of us. And I pray that we will consider the mercies of God tonight and make the reasonable response that God requires of us, the presenting of our lives as a living sacrifice under him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mercies of God. We thank you, Father, that for the reason that, there, that we have before us in serving you. Father, you saved us. You bought us. And I pray that each one of us here tonight, upon seeing the mercies of God, our heart's response will be, Lord, I give you afresh my life. Perhaps you've never done it. Lord, for the first time, I want to give you my life as a living sacrifice. I want to serve you, Lord. Lord, please use me. May we make those right decisions in the light of Calvary tonight, if we haven't already. And may our lives be so lived for thy glory in the days ahead. Thank you, Father, for your word and for our time this evening. I pray for every young person here. I pray for every everyone, all of us here tonight, that, Lord, by your Spirit, you may speak to our hearts, challenge us as to our walking with you and the, and the place that you hold in our lives. Help us, Lord, to serve you faithfully in these days till Jesus comes and we give you thanks in his name. Amen.